What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, flamethrowers, welcome back to Burn It All Down. Amira here, and I'm joined today by Jess, Shireen, and Brenda. On the show today, we'll be talking about the week that was in sports. When I first heard that the Bucks didn't come out of the locker room, I was genuinely shocked that it was. And later on, we'll introduce a new segment called Torchbearers. And I know y'all are like, Ireland has a lacrosse team. They do. We'll have more announcements as we move through the show. Some changes and many things that you'll notice are still the same. One big change is that Burn It All Down is actually coming to you not once, but two times a week now. On Tuesday, we'll do our normal segment. We'll do our burn pile. We'll tell you what's good. And our interview will actually be a standalone episode released on Thursdays. Keep an eye out on your podcast feed for that interview dropping later this week. Welcome back to Burn It All Down. We have missed you so, so much. But also, it was so good, so good to rest for a month. And even though we say we rested, I really hope that you check out all of the content that we had over the past month on the Burn It All Down podcast feed, including crossover guest episodes and also most recently our latest hot takes, including a hot take on Athletes on Strike that Jess hosted with myself and Dr. Courtney Cox and Samantha Shepard. And also, Lindsay had a terrific interview with our very own Jessica Luther and Kavitha Davidson on their new book, Out Now, Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back. But here we are. Shireen, Brenda, Jess, we're sending a shout out to Lindsay. But the gang is mostly back together and we are ready to go to work. To start it off, I wanted to ask you, after a month, a change of seasons, organized chaos and complete mayhem. Where's your mood at? How are you feeling? And I'm going to ask you to tell me this in one word. I'm going to say it again. One word. Flamethrowers, you can't see me, but I'm looking at Shireen. One word. Tell me, please. Where are you at, Bren? Motivated. Jessica. Uh, One word. Um, I'll go with excited. I'll do a positive. Excited. Excited. Shireen. We the North. One one word. It's a hashtag. One word. <laughs> thrilled. Motivated, excited, thrilled. Please strike from the record the traitorous Shireen's or Raptors nod. I'm exerting executive privilege in leading the ship, and I will take more than one word to say we are ready to get back into it. So please join us. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from lawmakers and law enforcement. 
What we have seen over the last few months, and most recently with the brutal police shooting of Jacob Blake, is overwhelming. And while we hurt for Jacob and his community, we also have an opportunity to keep the focus on the issues and demand change. That was the Milwaukee Bucks' George Hill and the Atlanta Dream's Elizabeth Williams reading their respective statements on the night they refused to play basketball. The protests in sports, the Wildcat strike, spread from the WNBA and the NBA onto MLB, the MLS, National Hockey League, and even pro tennis when Naomi Osaka said she would not play her scheduled match, saying, Before I am an athlete, I am a black woman, and as a black woman, there is much more important matters at hand right now that need immediate attention rather than watching me play tennis. For a night and then the next night, the sports world seemed to stop, The players were on strike, and it seemed a world of possibilities lay at their feet. By Friday, however, there are plans in place to resume all games. Now, a week and a half later, play has resumed, initiatives have been announced, but perhaps we're left with more questions than answers. On this segment, we're going to take a look at the week that was, but more importantly, what it could mean moving forward. And so I wanted to start with asking you if the resumption of play, which is a word, just looked it up for me, if the resumption of play changed your initial reactions to the day the game stopped, Bren, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, it has. And I'm sorry to say that, but I think most of the players went back before their demands were really met. And I'm just skeptical about the way I'm hopeful and I admire the athletes for what they did. And I think it's an important precedent in sending the message about their power and the ways in which they can use their labor to affect real change. But I have to say, I think the longer the strike, the more effective sometimes. And what about you, Shireen? Um, I'd been focusing mostly on athlete response I haven't seen this type of driven action and, you know, nod to you specifically, Amira, who talk about black labor solidarity, and I'm seeing that more than I ever have in sports. It just reaffirms how shitty federations and organizations are, meaning like NHL and in some cases, because I don't think the powers that be in any boardroom will actually ever give a fuck until it affects them personally. So I'm not surprised, but I just, like Brenda said, stand in solidarity with the athletes and coaches and those affected. Yeah, Jessica. Yeah, I keep reminding myself how I felt when it was all happening, which was like, man, it's wild that that happened at all. I mean, I felt hope and inspiration in a moment when I don't feel that about much of anything. I mean, I'm with Brenda and Shireen. I mean, the longer the strike, the more that we probably would have gotten out of it. At the same time, I think we saw really well how important collective organizing is and how hard it is. And the WNBA has been doing this for a really long time. They're the best at it. I think we saw that. I mean, they had a statement so fast uh, as like from all of the players at once. And that if this is going to work, that these other leagues are going to have to figure out how to do the sustained collective organizing. But I do keep reminding myself when I first heard that the Bucks didn't come out of the locker room, I was genuinely shocked. I would say for me, it affirmed my initial feelings, which is optically, this is really great. And I also am already cynical about the way that it will be co-opted and declawed. And especially as a game steamed and crossed over the sports world into like a national conversation, where I think that the movement itself got very romanticized 
And my initial reaction was very tantamount to like, they're calling in black, like they just can't today. But having a day where you just can't because of the spectacle of black death is very different than like intentionally movement building. And that was kind of like my initial reaction to it. And so I'm not necessarily surprised about some of the developments over the week, but I've been watching closely to see where that leverage has been able to translate into something that I feel like is new or unprecedented. So conversations about opening up voting access through arenas is a new wrinkle that I find particularly interesting and compelling. The thing that I'm really watching that is more along the lines of what I was worried about and unfortunately we're starting to see is things like what was recently announced that the Miami Heat is honoring their commitment to quote unquote not sit on the sidelines by partnering with none other than Miami Police Department. Yes, MPD that has a long history of, I don't know, like beating and shooting black people and Latino people in in Miami-Dade County. Here's the thing, the Miami Heat's partnership is basically footing the bill for it. This is the same Miami Police Department that has a long history of police brutality. A 1980 case where they beat Arthur McDuffie, tried to stage it as an accident, covered it up, and then he later died from his injuries. This is the same police department that earlier this summer were caught on camera, a police officer repeatedly punching a black woman in her face. This is the same police department that gets nearly $800 million from Miami-Dade County to do whatever the hell they call policing basically just getting a free shielded thing this is the opposite of defunding the police actually it's like actually funding them more Jess did you want to jump on that no I just wanted to mention that yesterday Kirk Herbstreit cried on college game day about racial injustice this is not okay it's just not and when Reese Davis was it's trying to get them to commercial afterwards, he mentioned. And there's a lot of good going on in college football. I know that even uh, the Navy players have met with police departments. There is hope. As like, see, good things are happening. And so, you know, sports media doesn't know what to do with this in general. And I really felt that yesterday when Reese Davis said that. Exactly. It reminds me so much of the Rock Nation NFL partnership that we saw. It's really just reinforcing the institution and not dealing with very real issues in it. And so that is, I don't know, I guess it prompts a question of how power is working and how it's not working or like if that leverage that we imagine or sometimes I think amplify really contains as much power in it as we think. And, you know, on the various media circuits and rounds that we've been on this week, I think we're still talking about what actions are being taken, a romanticized bubble that's completely a product of capitalism. There's no reason why there needs to be a bubble basketball in the middle of a global pandemic. And so even whatever they're using their platform for from within the bubble or the wobble or wherever is still participating in the system that is rife with these power dynamics that are unchanged, even with the actions that they're doing on the ground. So one of the conversations we wanted to highlight that may have flown under your radar this week is some of the things that have been going down with Deloy Henson and the NWSL. I want to kick it back to Jess. Yeah, so Deloy Hansen, he's this like super rich dude, lives in Utah. He owns MLS's Real Salt Lake, NWSL's Utah Royals FC, and a USL team, the Real Monarchs. And the day after the Wildcat strike, he went on a radio station that he owns, which I just think says so much right there and he said the strike made him feel quote like somebody stabbed you and you're trying to figure out a way to pull the knife out and move forward the disrespect is profound to me personally 
It only took the athletic like 0.6 seconds to report that this guy has a long history of racism and saying racist things. And I do want to highlight that Ciara King, who is a black rookie for the Utah Royals, immediately she took to Twitter after his comments and she wrote in part, quote, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised by the lack of understanding in this situation. One thing I'm absolutely not going to do is use his privilege as an excuse for his comments. I hope that people in this club and beyond will choose accountability and empathy moving forward. From there, we got a statement from the black players of the NWSL. They called his comments disgraceful, and they said they stand with Utah Royals, Real Salt Lake, and Real Monarch players. And then they specifically mentioned Ziara King and backing her up. I will say Hansen has agreed to sell the team, which apparently he decided on his own. One thing I want to hear about from you guys, what does this matter then? It's, it's so weird to me. It kind of feels like Sterling, like this rich dude gets to sell off his teams. What comes from this? Is this affecting at all soccer or football culture in America? It doesn't feel like it. One thing I do want to say, quick shout out to Andre Carlisle. He wrote a great piece at SB Nations All for Nine about the overall silence of white NWSL players during this time, which I think speaks a lot to how much this is not changing the culture in this moment in soccer. I like that point. Like, you just does he just get paid to go home and be racist on his couch with millions of dollars? Yeah, now? he got to decide that. Like, he was right. the one who was like, I, I'm just going to get out of here. I'm going to toss it to Shireen here, but I did want to remind everybody that Ziara was on our podcast in the special we did about Black women athletes speaking out in the beginning of June. And she talks about finding her voice, entering the league, and moving to Utah right before a pandemic. And so it did not come as a surprise to us on Burn It All Down that she's at the forefront of speaking out on this. Um, Shireen. One of the things that I think I want to highlight is cross-sport solidarity and I will always believe the WNBA provided a blueprint for how to do things. And we see the Black Players Coalition from the WNBA influencing other women in sport. And as we know, Black women are on the forefront of all this mobilization. And I also want to take this moment to remind everybody that youth doesn't necessarily mean you're unqualified to lead. As much as I hate the burden on shoulders of anybody that have to carry this kind of load, it's okay for us to look up and learn from them too, the youth. And black youth are formidable, particularly black women. And when I said I was thrilled in the beginning of the show, it was because I was excited to see all of this. And I'm so grateful that we get to witness it. I want to um, go deeper on that NWSL Black Players Association. And to do that, I want to highlight the fact that our very own Brenda Elsie and our good friend Jermaine Scott authored a piece uh, with Fair that just came out this week about the conditions of Black players in the NWSL, as well as other things. And I wanted to toss it to you, Bren, to give us a little bit more information on their pre-existing Black Players Association. And also, if you could move us into a conversation about some of the asks and tactics that you see coming from players in this moment. So essentially what the report tried to do was understand what the representation of Black, Latinx, and women in NWSL, MLS, and U.S. Soccer Federation. And it speaks to Jess's point about Utah, which is in normal soccer governance, those three entities are not connected. But in the United States, it's an aberration. And so why can Hansen just leave? Because the MLS is essentially fiscally a Ponzi scheme in which you pay in and you pay out and there's no relegation and ascension, which is totally abnormal. And part of the reason that is like that is that 
the U.S. Soccer Federation, which should be the overall governing body, right, over leagues. And they should be doing the investigation. The issue is that they hire MLS to run many of their events and to act as their marketing firm. They also pay NWSL for national team players, so they pay into their salaries. So these three organizations are financially tied in a way that makes it incredibly difficult to sanction. How would they sanction an owner who has simply paid in? What do you do? That owner just takes his money out. Okay. And it makes it all the more scary for these black players speaking out, for Latinos speaking out, to try to have some protection. So going forward, what do we do? I mean, first and foremost, it is urgent that there is some kind of independent body that is set up in order to protect the players for speaking out from repercussions. They can easily be cut for imaginary reasons that are really based upon these kinds of organizing factors. You know, there are zero Black or Latinx coaches in NWSL. There's only one woman coach in the women's league. In terms of MLS, it's really not a whole lot better. And two days after the report, New York Red Bulls fired Chris Armas, who is Puerto Rican. The Latinx representation went from 15% to about 9%. So I don't want to go on and on. We'll put a link to the report in the show. But those are some of the issues and I think the challenges and also the, the asks being made. Shereen? I just want to say that Dr. Brenda Elsie saying that the MLS is like a Ponzi scheme is my favorite quote of 2020, possibly. <laughs> um, Brent, I wanted to ask you, looking at some of the specific solutions proposed by the players, is there anything that jumps out about some of those asks? The Rooney Rule or adopting something like the Rooney Rule. You need programs in there for mentorship, for coaching licenses. You need to start interviewing and making some kinds of targets. As difficult as it is, if you don't sort of attack that as a structural level, it's never going to happen. And, you know, that change requires conflict. And that's really difficult because they're not going to do it on their own. And so one of the reasons we put kind of stories in the report and just to go back to Ciara King and how wonderful it is to have a young leader like that, we asked her, I asked her, what would it mean to you to have a black woman coach, which you've never had? And she was tearing up. And you know, it actually makes for better coaching and better playing. And to broaden it, I would say, like, it's very interesting to see what is coming out of the brief moment with, like, the NBA, for instance. The one thing that surprised me was the kind of push, the initiative to use arenas and make them into voting spaces. One of the underreported things about 2016, it was the first year after the gutting of the Voter Rights Act, which has huge and profound consequences. And really the name of the game for us today is voter suppression. That is the thing. All hands on deck on this point is essential, Bren. Yeah, you can't see me, but my head is nodding so hard it's about to fall off. As an historian, this is really an unprecedented moment in terms of attacks on the democratic process itself. You know, athletes out there creating platforms and using platforms that are about citizenship and civic engagement. It is for me the number one most sort of hopeful thing as well as an historian because we are on the brink of actual fascism. Actual literal fascism. Actual, literal fascism. So can we say thank you to the most vulnerable people in this country for trying to stop this from happening? 
And so while we're on that conversation about tactics and solutions that players are offering and seeing, I wanted to toss it to you, Shireen, to talk about the NHL. The NHL was a surprise contributor to the night without sports. And uh, Howard Bryant made this great point when we were talking on WBUR's On Point that unlike the NBA, the WNBA, where it very much felt player led in the NHL, it felt like there was other factors pushing the NHL to this. And I think one of those, Shireen, is the Hockey Diversity Alliance. The asks of the HDA, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, were very different than, you know, what the NHL came up with. And the players can demand and they can ask, but at the end of the day, the NHL hasn't stepped up in the way it needs to. Stuff like the blue line, they're proposing the blue line be changed to the black line. Like... Is that, what is that? And this is where we're there and we get into the stuff that is performative versus effective and sustainable. And looking at the names on the owners coalition, they're all obviously white men. And then when you look at the the fan coalition of inclusion, Ron McLean's on there. Why would Ron McLean be on a supporters coalition? Like, I actually went through the list. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me because the NHL is trying to draw from what it currently has. And what it has is not enough BIPOC. What it has is not enough women. What it has is people that are trying to lead on something when they haven't even fucking unlearned anything and relearned. So obviously there's a lot going on and it should come as a surprise to no one that we have a lot of thoughts. But I think to wrap up this segment, what we are kind of leaving with is that we're in the middle of something and we haven't reached the end of it. We're still going to watch these actions. We're going to watch these kind of follow-ups to these moments we're going to see if leverage comes back. And I think we also should keep an eye on the kind of global impact because what athletes are starting to articulate is what activists on the ground have long said, which is tapping into not a local, even if it's motivated by local actions, but a global fight to see how these systems of oppression are interlocking and interlacing. And because I love you so much, Shireen, I'm going to throw it to you to take us out and introduce the quote that we're going to end on, because I know that you want to fawn a little bit over the Raptors. Thank you, Amira. I, I love you very much, even though you're from Boston area. White supremacy is a root of many evils. And we know that different levels of oppression, be it homophobia, be it misogyny, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, they're all very rooted in white supremacy. And one thing that I really affected me is in a post-game presser, Serge Baca, otherwise known as my husband, I'd like to refer to him as that, he had said, The, the change we try to do, make here is not only for America, it's for all the rest of the world. You know, where I come from, there's a lot of people out there dying, a lot of women out there getting raped. All that system has come from the same people. It's the same people. For me... To hear that coming originally historically from a place where a colonization brutalized my country, tore it apart, this is a movement globally. And this movement is inspiring youth all over the world. And I don't think we can minimize that. All right, y'all, we're going to get to the burn pile in just a second. But first, I want to give you a quick preview of the interview that we have coming out this Thursday. Jess, can you tell us what you're talking about? Yeah, I spoke to former Team USA swimmer and disability advocate Kristen Duquette and current Paralympian Lacey Henderson about disability and COVID in this time. For disabled athletes, I think the one thing that we we do have going for ourselves is the ability to adapt. 
hopefully after this too, we find way better ways to serve the disabled community because even before COVID, we were the largest minority in the world. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile. Shireen, I'm going to toss it to you. We'll keep with the Raptors. And on this point, I stand firmly in solidarity with you. Please bring the heat. What are you burning today? What started off as a cinder in the beginning of August grew and grew and exploded into my rage. And it's rooted in a profound love and affection for the only president I recognize, Masai Ujiri, of the Toronto Raptors. After the championship win of 2019, the Toronto Raptors NBA world champions. Thank you. I'm just going to repeat that again. When he tried to get on to the court in celebration, was assaulted by an Almeida County Sheriff. There was back and forth. There was countersuits. That particular person alleged that he was injured and this and that. And what ended up happening is very recently in the last two weeks, Masai Ujiri's legal team came out with the body cam footage. And it was exactly what we thought it was. It was him being assaulted Masai Ujiri was pushed first and he was pushed twice as he was trying to take out his badge so there's no doubt about this but what I'm specifically burning is the response from said asshole this security guards legal team has come out and they have insisted that Masai Ujiri is trying to benefit by using an atmosphere of race and bias against law enforcement So basically, they're alleging that Masai Ujiri, a black man who was, we can see him being assaulted, is using the current state of the world to benefit. That's, that is actually how fucked up it is, this counterclaim. I'm furious. I'm not painting Golden State Warrior fans as anything racist, but your sheriff's office is. I want to burn that shit down. Burn. 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 All right, Jess, what are you burning this week? So I want to thank multiple flamethrowers who reached out to us about this. In July, World Rugby proposed a ban on transgender women participating in union competition. The Guardian reported that World Rugby's transgender working group created a 38-page document in which they claimed, and here is how the Guardian Sean Engel wrote about it, quote, There is likely to be at least a 20 to 30% greater risk of injury when a female player is tackled by someone who has gone through male puberty. World Rugby claims that science is on their side. The organization decided, based on this so-called science, that even if a trans woman lowers her testosterone levels for 12 months to the level stipulated by the International Olympic Committee's guidelines, she still wouldn't be able to play. World Rugby was like, we see your transphobia, IOC, and we're going to raise you one. Of course, there's no prohibition on trans men playing. Sean Engel had a follow-up piece earlier this week at The Guardian. Turns out, 84 academics from a range of fields, including sport, public health, and sociology, signed a letter saying that there's no actual evidence that trans women pose a safety risk to cis women. The letter reads in part, quote, We are opposed to World Rugby's proposed ban of an entire population group from playing women's rugby. Non-binary people assumed male at birth and transgender women. There is no peer-reviewed scientific evidence to justify a ban which would only be harmful to trans and gender-diverse people. World Rugby responded to the letter with, "Uh uh-uh, and stood by their claims. Joanna Harper, a PhD student and medical physicist at Loughborough University, (laughs) told Sky Sports News, quote, One of the most fundamental problems is that they use studies on non-athletic transgender women to form a large part of their thesis. 
A worldwide online petition against the ban started by Grace McKenzie, a trans woman rugby player in San Francisco, has over 17,000 signatures. McKenzie told Sky Sports that rugby has, quote, been one of the most inclusive environments I've found since my transition a few years ago. The thought of losing rugby makes me feel awful. It makes me feel like a second-class citizen. Trans folks face a lot of adversity all over the world. This is just another attack on our opportunities to be included. So same transphobia, different sport. I fear there's nothing new to say here. So I will say what we've already said before. The science that these bans are based on is often flawed or incomplete, and that going after a vulnerable population of people is deeply disappointing and it's discriminatory. World Rugby has said it is willing to change its position in the future if the science allows for it. But if you're looking for evidence that allows your transphobia to shine through, I worry that in a transphobic world, you're going to find it. So I want to burn this proposed transphobic ban in World Rugby. Burn. 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 Bren, what are you burning? I'm burning the media's depoliticization of athletes in particular during this moment of athlete activism. And I want to talk particularly about the case of Tom Terrific Seaver, probably the most beloved Met perhaps in history. He is a pitcher that played from 1967 to 1986. And he died on August 31st of complications due to dementia and COVID. And Tom Seaver was an advocate for labor rights in MLB. He also was an anti-Vietnam protester. And one of the reasons this was particularly important is before he took the mound in 1969, he um, said, if the Mets can win the World Series, then the U.S. can get out of Vietnam. Protesters talked about how important that was that summer of 1969. And actually, because of the lack of coverage of that movement that he participated in, people have been writing in to the Boston Globe, to other places to try to reassert that when they were marching in those marches, how important it was. One of the other reasons for that is that Seaver was actually a Marine who served eight years in the Marine Corps. And I would just like to say, I don't often read Marine Corps times, but I did this week, and there is absolutely no mention that Tom Seaver again and again expressed that the Vietnam War was unjust. And I think it's a disservice to his memory. I think it's shocking in this moment of athlete activism to pretend that this is new and to ignore the struggles that have been ongoing. So I want to burn the fact that we have not honored Tom Seaver's own struggles and stands against the Vietnam War. Burn. 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 What I'm burning this week is the continued bullshit in college sports around COVID-19 because somehow (laughs) it's still happening. First and foremost, I want to burn the fact that we are still seeing large numbers of COVID cases on campus. For instance, Tennessee didn't have enough players to practice with the other day. They have 44 people out because of positive tests or contact tracing. They only had 30 people available in football practices, (laughs) so they couldn't have a scrimmage. If you've half your team out because of COVID, maybe you shouldn't be playing. (sighs) Not only that, you had the TCU-SMU game postponed because of COVID outbreak. 
We haven't even gotten to the season and the season alone does not inspire confidence. Almost half of the 65 schools in the Power 5 conferences are refusing to share data about positive tests in their programs. About a third of those schools have declined to continue to provide data about protocols (laughs) that they are doing after people are testing positive. And a bulk of those schools, almost a third of them are, of course, in the conferences that are continuing with fall sports this fall, which are the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC. Speaking of the ACC, they've moved all fall sports except football to the spring, which really belies a lot of this bullshit. I mean, like we've said, it's just leaving it bare to see. I would also like to remind people that football is not the only fall sport. All of these people, like the people in Nebraska suing the Big Ten so they can play football and using this like empathy about how is their future and their seasons. I have talked to numerous athletes, particularly women's soccer players and volleyball players who have also had their seasons disrupted and don't know what their futures look like. And not let's not forget spring sport athletes who had their seasons canceled altogether. So please spare me a particular woe is me for football players. It's sad for sure, but it's existing within a larger landscape and they're the only people you give a damn about. You really undercut that point when you're insisting they return to the field under these circumstances of unpaid labor. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen because we've all just decided that COVID's over because we want it to be. The other thing that I have to tell you about this is in schools like UNC that after a week had a massive outbreak, so sent all their students home, but decided, oh, now that we've sent them home, we can recreate a bubble here and kept fall sport athletes on campus to continue their season. It's asinine. It's asinine. And then on top of that, you have the stupid, stupid, stupid occupant of the White House getting on the phone with the Big Ten saying we're convincing them to get back to football very, very soon. And then the Big Ten is like, "Uh, nothing has changed. And speaking of the Big Ten, speaking of Penn State, earlier this week at a meeting, the Penn State doctor revealed that a staggering number of cases, he first said 30 to 35%, and then there was a lot of statements correcting that. Take that what you will. But 30 to 35% of Big Ten athletes that they saw tested positive for COVID-19 are now showing signs of myocarditis, the dangerous heart disease that's causing inflammation and all sorts of ill effects. It's one of the lasting effects of COVID-19 that we don't know nearly enough about, and this should frighten everybody. It should be a pause on what we're going forward with, which is this asinine season. I can't believe we're still having this conversation. I can't believe this is where we're at. And like Jess said, I think we're running out of ways to call it for what it is. And so in the absence of words, because I'm out of them, I just have matches. Let's burn it down. Burn. 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 Alrighty, so now we are on to the segment formerly known as Badass Woman of the Week. We want to introduce you to a new segment called Torchbearers. Uh, shout out to Lindsay for the on-brand naming. This segment will highlight those people who are holding that flame, whether they're breaking barriers or they're modeling um, new paths forward for sport. And you can think of it as a relay. They're passing the torch to each other, leading up to the person who's lighting the flame that week as our torchbearer of the week. This is also a segment that we really strive to be more gender inclusive of. And so we've always shouted out women and non-binary people, but you'll notice our torchbearers now are going to be a little bit more expansive. And I just want everybody to know that this is what we mean when we think about taking sports forward is this kind of collectivity. I actually wanted to kick it off with a remembrance. 
a longtime torchbearer who unfortunately passed away on August 30th. Coach John Thompson, he was an American basketball coach at Georgetown. He was the first black head coach to win a major championship in basketball in 1984. I really recommend that you check out our friends Derek and Lou's The Black Athlete podcast, where Frank Gritty, our close friend of the show, appears to talk about the importance of Coach Thompson and the legacy he has, and we lift you up in memory today. Let's continue this torch relay, and Brenda, who do you have as our champions of the week? UEFA's champion leagues, women's champions again, Olympique Lyonnais, who defeated Wolfsburg 3-1 in the finals. Shireen, who do you have as our ally of the week? So for those that don't know, the International World Games are due to take place in Alabama 2022, and Ireland's lacrosse team, and I know y'all are like, Ireland has a lacrosse team. They do. They have a Ben's lacrosse team, and they qualified for said games, but what they did was they have handed over their place to the Iroquois Nationals lacrosse team. And the Iroquois Nationals couldn't qualify because they're not particularly from one sovereign, and we all know borders were man-made, nation. And what this is, is they're trying to say, this is part of our history, and this is actually the history of this game. These days, it's nice to see this kind of solidarity. So hijab tip to Ireland, and I'm so happy that Iroquois Nationals will be competing. Jess, I want to toss it to you. Who do you have as our record setter of the week? Chicago Sky point guard Courtney Vandersloot set the WNBA single game assist record this week with 18, 18 assists in their game against Indiana Fever. That 18th assist went to none other than her wife, Allie Quigley, who hit a three. It's so beautiful. Literally a couple goals. I love it so much. I'm going to take this one. I want to shout out our innovators of the week, and that is Athletes Unlimited. It's a fantasy-like league It just premiered with pro softball. Next spring, it will premiere with pro women's volleyball. And it's a fantasy-like league that essentially every week redrafts and sorts players onto new teams. Players earn points individually for achievements in the game, like home runs, runs scored, all of these things. And then every week you're getting new compositions of teams is completely player run and they have a broadcasting deal. So a lot of these pro softball games are now available on ESPN across its platform. Our great friend of the show, AJ Andrews, is not only starring in this league, but made SportsCenter's top 10 in the premier game for a beautiful diving catch, which is so typical of AJ's style of play. It's really interesting to think what's possible through this model and to watch pro softball on TV. So they are our innovators of the week. All right, Shireen, we're on the last leg of this torch relay at this point. Who is our barrier breaker of the week? It's going to go to Moitara Al-Shamari of Saudi Arabia. And this is a really cool story. Saudi Arabia has launched a female archery championship will be comprised of 27 different athletes and four women judges. And this is just really great because it's unprecedented in that region. And Al-Shamari stands out as the first female archer to participate in compound bow. It's just really wonderful. And we want to see this type of like legless behavior all through there. And now we have reached that moment that torch is coming down the stretch. Can I get a slow clap leading up to the lighting of the torch for this week. You can't even get this. Well, but we can't. (laughs) 
<laughs> We're so uncoordinated. Some <laughs> things change. Some things remain the same. I'm going to throw it to you, Bren, to announce who our torchbearer is. The Brazilian and English women's national team players, their daily rate when they are convoked to play for the teams will be equal to that of the men's national team. And just one more sentence. Both of those teams had bans on women's football during the 20th century. So it was beautiful to see it one day after another. There you have it, folks. They are our torchbearers of the week. All right, y'all. What is good, good, good in your world? I have to start off with Shireen because she is waiting a month to get back to this segment. She may or may not have recorded on WhatsApp a what's good while we were offline. So Shireen, what is good? So I could actually record a whole hot take on what's good and what happened in August. It was restful. It was wonderful. We've already talked about this in the show, but I will want to highlight Brenda Slane out there with Dr. Jermaine Scott. Disruptors FC, what? Also, Jessica, I love your book. I hate that I haven't received it yet because I live in Canada and it hasn't shipped to me and I'm very annoyed about it. And I resist the urge to text you and whine, but I'm whining now publicly. I also wanted to say happy birthday to friend of the show, Dr. Courtney Sito. We spent a day on Friday literally driving out in Toronto eating. Any one of our flamethrowers, if you're up here, I would be happy to do this again. It was wonderful. I do have a really fun announcement and I wanted to thank Burn It All Down family for being so great about this. Your girl is now officially matriculated and I'm a graduate student and I start my master's of media production at Ryerson University. I'm just very, very excited about this. It's a long time coming and I'm going to cry about it because it was a thing for me to apply. I needed my hands needed to be held and needed to be dragged across the process of even applying. I will just add that they basically needed a paleontologist to find my transcripts because I am that old. That's what's good. And we are all so, so, so proud of you. Bren, what's good? Um, (laughs) The hardest segment (laughs) for me, always. Uh, One of my sort of specialisms in life, or what I dedicate a ton of time to, is governance and the history of sport governance and the history of the transfer market. And it turns out that Messi's transfer has given me a whole community with which I can share arcane and usually useless knowledge. So I feel good and useful over the past two weeks because people have been messaging like, why couldn't this transfer work? And I get to say, I can tell you. And it's also been nice to like Bayad in reset mode was also really exciting. So I'm thrilled to be back, but I'm also thrilled about the work that we did behind the scenes over the last month. Absolutely. I'll go next. I am really excited for various opportunities that have come down the wire that are on the horizon. I want to give a shout out. One of my many moms birthday is later this week, September 11th is Nancy's birthday, and I um, am really excited because Michael has a photo shoot. Massachusetts has lifted the ban on Pennsylvania, so we actually are going to be able to drive to Manchester by the Sea and the Cape Ann area where we will be not near people, but at least Scooby can run on a beach and we'll be able to socially distance, see my mom for her birthday, which leads me to my other what's good, which also means that tomorrow I get to see Brenda. 
uh, on my way to mass which is just the best treat that would have been my what's good if i knew it was confirmed well i i didn't confirm it so i could have my what's good (laughs) (laughs) and i also wanted this happened while we were on break but i did want to give a huge shout out to my little cousin alexis morris who is playing in conditioning at texas a&m um her team put out a tremendous statement about uh racial justice and this has been probably the thing that makes me really want COVID to go away the most because it's been a journey and I want her to have a season. I want her to have a comeback and I want to be in the arena on the day of her first game. So Jessica, take us home. Yeah, well, I think the most obvious thing is that earlier this week, my book that I've been working on for years, Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back, which I co-authored with Kavitha, it finally hit shelves. And that's just super exciting. On Wednesday night, we are doing an event with Hanif Adraqib. And then on Thursday night, we're doing an event with Joel Anderson. And I am huge fans of both of them. I'm super excited about this. So go find information if you want to watch those. It's on my social. One of the things that's been great for me in August is my co-hosts. I mean, first, Loving sports wouldn't exist without my co-host. I can't say that enough times. That book is like burn it all down in a book. Uh, but like Shireen has been amazing on television. TSN. She has just been out there in her hijab <laughs> repping. Amira is everywhere. I can't even like list it all. And all of it is brilliant. Brenda with her fair report. Just like incredibly important work. And Lindsay with power plays just continuing to kill it over and over and over again. That has been thrilling. Tennis is back. I feel conflicted. I love it, though. And I just want to give like a huge shout out to the New York Times Spoon Cake. I'm obsessed with this thing. I have made it five <laughs> times in like eight days. It's so good. I just can't say enough about the New York Times Spoon Cake. Okay, Jess, what is what is Spoon Cake? I saw your Insta and I was like, is this, what is this? What, it's what? like a cake that you spoon out, uh, but it's mainly butter. It's like butter and milk and then you put (laughs) fruit with sugar on top of it and it's just this soft buttery fruity amazing thing and it's so easy the problem with it is that it's so easy so if you get a craving while you're making dinner you can just make a spoon cake it's so funny because i saw that on jess's instagram and i was like i want this and she sent me the recipe i said maybe i should have been more clear i want you to make that for me (laughs) like i don't care how easy it is like i don't want to do any of it Alrighty. No, wait. I have one more. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> go, go. I go. want to tell everyone if you have HBO, you should be watching Lovecraft Country. Oh, damn it. That was my other one. Ha. Well, I got it. And I don't even like horror. Like, I am a huge coward, massive anxiety on my own. But I've got to say, we have watched the first three episodes, which are the ones, there's now four by the time you hear this, and they are all spectacular. And I cannot recommend that show enough. Journey Smollett. Ooh, Just episode three. Fucking phenomenal. Oh, my God. Just amazing. I was so concentrated on keeping Brenda away from my what's good. I left I left my baseline open and just, just swooped in and took my Lovecraft country on. I'm so upset. Alrighty. It's so good to be back with y'all. That is also the general what's good. And to be back with you all, flamethrowers. And Finn. Finn? Finn. Like it's done. Oh, Fang. Okay. Sorry. I was like, what's Finn? That's it for this week's episode of Burn It All Down. 
Again, our interview episode will be dropping on Thursday. So keep an eye on your podcast feeds and check out Jessica in conversation with Kristen Duquette and Lacey Henderson on COVID, disability, and sport. One of the things that y'all requested in our flamethrower surveys was to know what we're watching. So we're introducing a new end of show segment. will be super brief, but it's just a rundown of what to watch for this week in sports. So the semifinals and finals of the U.S. Open will be taking place at the back half of this week into the weekend. The U.S. Open women's single final will be on Saturday at 4 p.m. The WNBA season is still in full force. We want to really draw your attention to the Seattle Storm versus the Phoenix Mercury, 10 p.m. on Friday night Eastern on the CBS Sports Network. I mean, who does not want to get to see Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird head-to-head? Sticking with basketball, the NBA continues into the second round of their playoffs, including a pivotal Game 6 on Wednesday night, Celtics versus Raptors. This game, otherwise known as the Shireen vs. Mirabal, or We the North versus Try As I Might, I Can't Shake My Love for Boston Sports Team, so a go sees go, I guess. Also, NWSL games on the horizon. Saturday the 12th at 3.30 p.m., the Portland Thorns are taking on the rain, and that is on CBS. You can listen and subscribe to Burn It All Down on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. We're also on Facebook and on Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod. We're on Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. If you're wearing our merch, if you're shouting us out, tag us in it. We love to see flamethrowers out there enjoying the show. Check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. From there, you can also email us directly. There's also a link there to our Teespring shop and our Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, a special limited time offer from now to the end of the month. If you join as a new Patreon or upgrade your Patreon membership, you will automatically be sent an exclusive Burn It All Down flamethrower sticker, which is a new flamethrower logo created just to acknowledge how much we love you all so much. Those automatically ship out to new patrons and patrons who choose to upgrade their Patreon contribution. We also have a new exciting benefit for our top Patreon cheers, which are fireside chats with the co-host. That's exclusive access to chill with us and chop it up, whether it's watching a game or talking about something that you want to burn. Those fireside chats now available to our top tier Patreons. I mentioned that flamethrower logo. You know we had to make merch with it. Our flamethrower fall merch drop. Head over to our Teespring shop. That's it from me, Amira Rose Davis, Brenda, Shireen, Jess. Shout out to Shelby Weldon, who handles all of our social media stuff. This episode was produced by Martin Kessler. We'll see you next week, flamethrowers.